To the Lord belong the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants. Good morning and welcome to Worship from Creef on this, the 20th of September. After the very windy conditions of last week, it's lovely to have such a glorious day. It's calmer, it's warmer, it's a beautiful time for worship as we continue our journey from creation to Christ. And as we come before God this morning, let's pray and then we'll sing our praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Almighty God, you created the heavens and the earth and you made us in your image. Teach us to discern your hand in all your works and to serve you with reverence and thanksgiving through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
This past week, we have seen an alarming rise in COVID infections in different parts of the country. And it's a reminder that one of the responsibilities God has given to his people is to care for creation. And as we are part of that creation, to care for one another. That task requires all of us to be diligent in following the guidance of the health authorities and the rules set by our political leaders. But I know that can be hard when there are varying numbers permitted for different aspects of our daily living. and Many people find themselves confused. Why, for instance, can people go to the, the shops and the pubs, to schools and colleges, and yet the numbers for private gatherings are so low? It seems a contradiction. And yet we need to see these larger gatherings as an expression of grace, an extra liberty, set aside a stricter base. Abusing or ignoring any of these measures puts other people and ourselves at risk, with the most vulnerable being the most at risk. And sadly, as has been highlighted on the news just this past week, that includes many of our older or infirm citizens who live in care homes, who have very restricted visits from loved ones at this time. As universities and colleges reopen, the attention of the media has turned to young people, many of whom are behaving very responsibly. But of course, good, responsible behaviour isn't often reported. Instead, what's being highlighted are breaches of the general rule of no more than six people from no more than two households, which in many instances is in fact meeting no more than one other person inside or outside each day. But it's not just young people. Along with weddings, funerals have a current restriction of 20 people. And yet this past week there were 50 older people who turned up for a funeral I led in recent days, compounded by people from different households travelling together in the same cars. If we were to make any general plea, it would be for folks around us and for ourselves to adhere to the regulations. They're there for a good reason. It's the bendings of these rules, sometimes for what seems like good reason, these breakings of the rules that places us, all of us, at risk and prolong the period we all have these restrictions in place as we try to get this virus under some measure of control. Today, in our service, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. It's part of scripture which addresses head-on the issue of rules and the consequences of not heeding them. The love joy and peace of paradise that we've been reading about were shattered by human disobedience or what we call the fall. Now some people consider the story of Adam and Eve to be a myth, a tale that is true theologically but not historically. To an extent I agree, for certainly the talking snake and the named trees in the garden appear to be mythical, for they later reappear in scripture in obviously symbolic form. And we find the tree of life in Revelation 2 and 22, and that ancient serpent, the devil, in Revelation 12 and 20. There, they are symbols. But elsewhere in the New Testament, we find the Apostle Paul, for instance, affirming the historicity of Adam, drawing a careful parallel between Adam and Christ. 
He argues in Romans chapter 5 that as sin and death entered the world through the disobedience of the one man Adam, so salvation and life have become available through the obedience of the one man Jesus Christ. And Paul's argument would not make sense if Adam's disobedience was not as historical as Christ's obedience. So with that background, let's now listen to God's word. Genesis chapter 3 Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return.
Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live for ever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. As I read Genesis 3, it seems to me that it deals with three issues. Firstly, there's the denial of God's truthfulness, God's goodness, God's otherness. Secondly, there's a, there's a wrestling going on with share and blame being passed one to the other and the consequential disruption of relationships. And then thirdly, we're given glimpses of God's grace, both God's special grace and God's common grace. You remember that God had given to Adam and Eve three instructions. Firstly, there was a permission to eat freely of every tree in the garden. Then secondly, there was a prohibition to eat, not eat from just one tree. Thirdly, there was a, a penalty for that disobedience. So just like you and me, when we are faced with COVID restrictions, which are arguably for our good, Adam and Eve knew precisely what they might do, what they might not do, and what would happen to them if they disobeyed. It's into that situation that we are introduced to Satan in the form of a serpent who twists the permission, who twists the, the prohibition, who twists the penalty into a series of temptations, denying the truthfulness the goodness, the otherness of God. You see, in the previous chapter, chapter 2, God had said, when you eat of it, that one tree forbidden to them, you will surely die. But then in chapter 3, the devil twists that and says, you will not surely die. So Eve was immediately faced with a contradiction. They could not both be right. One must be lying. But which? Sadly, Eve chooses to believe the devil's lie and doubt the truthfulness of God. But we know that God was telling the truth. And so Adam and Eve died spiritually. They had eaten from the tree of life, but now they were forfeited that privileged access. And the way to the tree of life was barred to them. That spiritual death was accompanied by their bodies becoming mortal. If we look at the, the fossil record, it clearly indicates that death had existed in the vegetable and the animal kingdoms from the very beginning, but it seems from Scripture that God intended human beings created in God's image to experience something different, perhaps a, a translation like Enoch or Elijah without tasting death itself. The devil still denies God's truthfulness and the warning of judgment and the awful reality of hell for those who refuse to repent. Then secondly, Satan denied 
the goodness of God, making out that God sought not their welfare, but their impoverishment, twisting God's ample provision, Satan made the permitted things seem unsatisfying and the forbidden things seem desirable. Just think how much more attractive the forbidden freedoms of social gathering and associating seem compared to the limited but safer restrictions that are currently in place. Still today, one of the devil's favourite occupations is to make God's permitted things tame and his pro prohibited things seem attractive. That's the, the kind of message that bombards us daily from all sides in all sorts of ethical and moral issues. And we have relaxed these things so much in recent years in this country. We've cast aside biblical values that we are just not used to good and often godly restrictions. And so just as our default has become to rebel against God, so too we rebel against authority. And in the current pandemic, against these restrictions which are there to keep us safe and against those who are in governing authority over us. The third of the devil's denials was of God's otherness. And so we read that he tempted Eve with the possibility of becoming like God. And here the very essence of sin is laid bare. Adam and Eve were already created in the image of God. They were like God in every way that God intended them to be God-like. In those rational and moral and social and spiritual capacities that God had given them. There was one way, one main way, they were unlike God. God is self-dependent, but Adam and Eve, along with the rest of creation, were utterly dependent on God, who is both creator and sustainer of all things. The echoes of this rebellion echo right through history, right down to this present day. And so people believe that they no longer need God, that they can live without God, and that they can, in fact, become like God. And that's the fundamental nature of sin. This unwillingness to let God be God. This refusal to acknowledge God's otherness and to continue dependence on him. Genesis 3 tells us that sin is simply a revolt against God. But thankfully Genesis 3 also then goes on to offer a glimmer of hope that we'll find fully realised with the coming of Christ Jesus. And we'll go on to that in a moment after we sing again the hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength. 
strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Two of the immediate consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve were issues of shame and blame. 
And so we read that Adam blamed Eve for giving him fruit to eat and then went on to blame God for giving Eve to be with him in the garden. And then when God challenged Eve, she blamed the serpent for having deceived her. And the serpent, well, as the old joke goes, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. When Genesis 3 speaks of their eyes being opened, it wasn't their physical eyes, rather it was the, the eyes of their conscience that caused them to see the folly and the wickedness of their rebellion against God. Their physical nakedness, of which they felt no shame, now filled them with embarrassment. It was a symbol of their guilt before God. And although they confessed their sin and, and covered their shame with leaves, Adam and Eve had no real realisation of the magnitude of their sin. This shaming and blaming is right up to date. We can be very ingenious in trying to lessen our sense of shame and to shift the blame onto others. And so we say things like, oh, it's, it's genetics, it's in the genes, or it's to do with my upbringing, or it's not my fault. But an important feature of our godlike humanity is to accept responsibility for the choices we make. These choices have consequences. For Adam and Eve, and from Adam and Eve, comes a, a disorientation and an alienation from God. We are strangers to God's holiness. There also came a, a, a sexual disorientation in their relationship. Fruitfulness would now be accompanied by pain as well as pleasure. And the intended partnership would face discord, for we read that Adam would now rule over his wife. The responsibility to care for the earth would now become an uphill struggle. And the situation at this stage is dire. The prospect is bleak. And yet it's against this background of sin, of guilt, of judgment, that we find glimmers of grace beginning to appear. We go on to read that the Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and we may assume that was a, a normal practice and normally Adam and Eve would accompany God but now they were in hiding and yet God continued his walk searching for the missing couple. We sometimes talk about people searching for God but here it is God who is searching for people. He is searching for Adam and Eve. And by inference, he is searching still today for you and for me. And we read, that, we read that God felt pity for Adam and Eve's shame. And God made skin coverings, skin garments to cover them. And here we have the first hint of what is plainly taught elsewhere in Scripture. That the covering of human guilt in forgiveness is possible only through the shedding of blood in sacrifice, thus foreshadowing the salvation through the blood of Christ as Christ died on the cross. This unmerited initiative to replace flimsy leaves with garments of skin is a mark of God's grace, God's special grace and God's common grace. 
You see, God firstly announces that he will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, which will continue into the future as an age-long conflict resulting in suffering, though we read more for the serpent than for Eve's offspring. God already has a single champion in mind. And so we read, he will crush your head, dealing a lethal blow, while you will strike at his heel. That is, he will not escape injury himself. This decisive, though painful victory over the devil was won at the cross. When, as the Apostle Paul would later write to the Colossians, Jesus Christ disarmed and dethroned the principalities and the powers and triumphed over them. It is an act of God's special grace. Meanwhile, God's common grace is also there. God's common grace is extended to everyone. And at the start of Genesis chapter 4, we go on to read that Eve, who had just been expelled from the Garden of Eden, became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, saying, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. How could Eve claim God's help in childbirth if she'd been expelled from God's good provision and God's care? The answer is that although God's special grace brings salvation to believers, his common grace is extended to all humankind in the provisions of life and health and all things that are necessary for our survival. And so we see here, amid all that goes wrong, these glimmers of grace pointing forward from creation to Christ.
It's becoming clear that we are experiencing an extended exit from lockdown to which there is no immediate end in sight. And although we are in the throes of putting plans to in, into place to reopen our church and although other things are beginning to reopen, there are also now increased restrictions on our movement. Taking together with our collective memory of the last six months, there is an uncertainty as to the direction to be taken. And the impact of this on our personal and collective well-being is a matter of concern within the church as well as wider society. And so as we pray and as we continue to look out for one another, can I suggest to you to remember that the Creef Connections Hub in the High Street is one place where you can meet with, usually with church folks, someone from the church who will be happy to, to chat and to have a coffee to pray with you most days from 10 till 1pm. On a Friday it's in the afternoon between 1 and 4. There's also in the hub a good supply of, of, of food that's, that's lovely to eat still. It's just past its best before date. We'd love to get that out to folks in the community. It's still perfectly good. We'd rather folks were eating it than it was being thrown into landfill. So do pop into the hub and there'll be someone there you can chat to, have a coffee with. If you want to pray, they'll pray with you. This week in our prayers, we remember and give thanks for the life of our sister Vina Rylance, who is now with the Lord. And while we rejoice for Vina, we want to pray God's comfort and God's peace to be with her daughter Caroline and all the rest of the family and circle of friends as they prepare for Vina's funeral this coming Friday. So let's join together in prayer. And as we've been doing the past few weeks, the response to Lord in your mercy is hear our prayer. God who provides, hear the cry of your people in their distress and answer them in the desert places. We give thanks for the life of Vina Rylance and we pray your peace on all those who knew and loved Vina. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God who provides, guide your people in barren lands and hold us safe when we are weak. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God who provides, may we receive your gracious gifts in the morning and in the evening discover those gifts renewed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God who provides, give direction to us when we are lost and renew our purpose when we are uncertain. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God who provides, renew the faith of your people and equip us to serve you in the place that you have called us to. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God who provides, 
on this day may we receive bread from heaven and know the glory of the Lord revealed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And hear us as together we pray as Jesus taught his followers, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever. Amen. Well, friends, I invite you to join us again next Sunday for the fourth leg of our journey from creation to Christ. And we'll go on to see that alongside all the horrors of human sin, human culture begins to flourish by God's grace. And we see the beginnings of farming and building and technology and music. So I hope you'll join us next week 11, from 11 o'clock on Sunday, 27th September. Do join us again then. And if you'd like to come on to Zoom after the service today, we'll be there to, to welcome you. If you've lost the code, just ring the man, send us a message. We'll get the code to you. Until we, we meet again, either in person or through this medium uh, of the, the, the internet and these digital services, May the blessing of God, the ever-present Father, the ever-living Son, the ever-active Holy Spirit, descend upon you and remain with you now and always. Amen. <laughs>